Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Reading Radio Podcast. I am Jason. And I'm Alora. And this month for Halloween, we are reading the gothic classic Bram Stoker's Dracula. Hope you have uh, read along with read the book already and are ready to join us and have a discussion about it. But first, Alora, tell us what you've been up to. School a lot. A lot of school, yeah. A lot of school. And prepping for NaNoWriMo. Now, what is NaNoWriMo for those people, you know, that don't know what that is? National Read and Novel Month. So in November, you write 50,000 words within that month. 50,000 words, which breaks down to how much a day? About 1,700 per day. All right. And so you're going to take this task on? Mm-hmm. You already have something planned out? Yes. So you will, at the end of the month of November, have your first novel, at least the first draft, completed and ready to go. That's the goal. That's the goal. Awesome. And how can people like follow along and kick your butt and make sure that you're doing what you said you're going to do? I will be posting on Instagram as we're going, which is Reading Radio. At Instagram? Yes. Also, if you follow anything else as far as our social media goes, we are Reading Radio Show, S-H-O, on Twitter because somebody had Reading Radio already. And then, of course, groups slash Reading Radio for Facebook where we post some conversation starters uh, and things just to keep us moving, information about the show. Uh, one of the things you just saw that I'd posted was uh, The Matrix of Vampires, because coming into this, we knew, no, spoiler alert, uh, Bram Stoker's kind of the beginning of Dracula, or vampire lore, mm-hmm. right? And so you've not read a lot of other vampire things, I assume. Not really, only one or two, so and what, they're not main, they're just kind of there. Yeah, so what do you know about vampire lore coming into this book? They suck blood, they that- can transform into bats. Mm-hmm. You have to kill them by stabbing them through the heart, and they don't like sunlight. Okay. All things found in Dracula. We'll post this in the show notes if you haven't seen it already. There's a great TED series called Why You Should Read X, and the Why You Should Read Dracula actually explains some of the history. Oh, I'm sorry. They didn't actually call it that, did they? It was actually how Dracula became the most famous vampire. Yes. Do you remember what, what happened that caused it to be so famous? A copyright incident. Mm-hmm. There's a classic movie called Nosferatu which is the Romanian word, if I remember, or the Czech word for vampire. And it basically totally ripped off Dracula without giving any credit. And so Bram Stoker's widow sued, uh, bankrupted the company that made the movie, and then she sold the stage rights to somebody to make, I forget, it was a family friend, to make the play, which is where Bela Lugosi, who's like, if you ever hear that name, he was the original Dracula in most people's minds who are old enough to remember. He did it on Broadway and that's how Dracula became so famous. It actually wasn't through any movies or even the book. The book became more famous because of the play that had taken off, which I thought was a really cool story to get into. Yeah. All because someone sued. Yeah. Now, if... Never mind. I'm not getting into copyright law discussions because there's a whole Disney angle there that would be interesting, but probably not the right place for the show. So <laughs> let's talk about the book again. Uh, what, now that you've read it, let's talk about your uh, overall score before we get into real spoiler territory. One to five, one being we should burn all copies of this book, five being everybody should read it. What do you give Bram Stoker's Dracula? Four and a half. Four and a half? I really liked this High one. praise from yeah. you. Why is that? Any particular reason? It got into it fast, and the way it was told perspective-wise was really interesting. Ah, yes, the point of view. We'll get into that momentarily. Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go four. A drug a little bit for me. At certain times, of course, I was reading it disjointedly. I'm not traveling to work right now, which is when I usually get all my audiobooks done. And so I was, I kind of, I would listen to it as I fell asleep. And sometimes I listen to the same part several times. 
I only got to mow the lawn like twice <laughs> to catch up. So I'm going to go for not obviously Bram Stoker's fault. That's more probably about me. Uh, age perspective, what would you say? I didn't think any content wise, mm-hmm. nothing was graphic. There wasn't any like explicit sexual. There was some kind of indicated. And then the language was older English. So it might be a little difficult. So maybe 12 or 13. Really? Do you think a 13 year old could handle the archaic language? That was the, it wasn't the content. It was the language for me. It's just hard to read. It's not quite Shakespeare, but it's definitely difficult. It was written in 1893, if I remember right. Maybe did, a little bit older then. Did you struggle at all understanding the content? Not really. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking at least 14, 15. Maybe if you're doing an audiobook, which I did, of course. Audible has a great one that's done by Tim Curry, Alan Cumming, almost forgot his name, and Simon <laughs> Vance, who's one of my favorite audiobook readers. And it helps break it down a good bit. Reading the book might be a little bit more difficult. Like, I might have struggled with that, but the audiobook wasn't bad. Oh, that's right. You did the audiobook this time. Which I rarely do. Right. Yeah, I would wonder the difference. Maybe if some of you out there have actually read it, read it, you might have a different opinion on that. You're welcome to come give us your feedback at reading-radio.com. Give us your score on the book and give us a comment. Let us know if you think it's it's older. And older, like you said, not for content reasons. If you're reading it to your child, you could probably... You could probably do them a little bit younger. You might have to explain a lot of what things mean. All right, well, we're going to move into the spoiler zone now. If you have not read the book, we are now going to spoil the book and not give any more warning. So if you have not read the book, go read the book and come back and listen to it. Or if you don't care about being spoiled, keep listening, but we warned you. Really, you're being spoiled in a book that's over 100 years old, so it's not our fault. Although, we will also spoil a little bit of Harry Potter because of a topic I want to bring up. So if you haven't finished the Harry Potter series, again... Don't know who listens to our show that has not finished the Harry Potter series. Go finish that and then come back and read this. Come back and listen to us. <laughs> okay. Point of view. Yes. You, you found that very interesting. Tell me I about did. that. I did. I liked the way it was written in journal entries. And so some of the more random things were spent more time on. Like in the beginning, there was a lot of description on the places rather than the actual events that were happening. Okay. So... When Jonathan's traveling through the mountains and he's, Mm -hmm. it's really written like a travel journal until you get into the plot. What grabbed you? You said you got into it right away. The way people were treating him, even in the very beginning, they were like warning him not to go. Mm. So they knew something was off. Yeah. Superstition is an entire theme in this that I don't know that we understand so well. We're not a superstitious culture as much anymore. Mm -mm. We don't like people really took superstition seriously at some points. Whereas today, we joke about things like step on a crack, break your mother's back, don't go under a ladder. Oh, a black cat. But we don't really think any kind of bad luck is yeah. going to follow us when that happens. So were any of their, I don't know, superstition mixed with religious themes kind of, did that confuse you at any point? Or do you have any questions about those about that kind of thing? Not really. I okay. don't think there are any points that I remember being too confusing about that. Did it surprise you that, that the Count was a nobleman? Like he... he at first, until you figure out who, you know, you know who he is, obviously. Nobody's really coming into Dracula without knowing, but he really handled himself as a nobleman. He was courteous. He took care of Jonathan. Felt very downtown, downtown Abbey. <laughs> downtown. It's funny. You say that, we say that jokingly as a family. Now you can't get it out of your head, right? The way, like, there was kind of the, not a hierarchy, but the way he treated him. And the fact that the first thing Jonathan noticed was, like, there was no servants. Right. There's no one else around, which he found to be very interesting. But one of the interesting things I heard was, uh, what was the quote? 
basically he had he didn't smoke or something else, but he had enough, he had it there to provide for his guests. And something I think may be lost in hospitality today, depending on where you are, is just because you don't do it doesn't mean somebody else doesn't. Mm-hmm. You're not smoking at my house, but <laughs> if there's something else that may, like we keep we keep certain things in the house for other people to be comfortable, even if we're not, it's not something we use all the time. But I don't know how common that is. So I but that idea of hospitality, he he's a vampire. You think pure evil, but he's actually very hospitable up front. Before he starts locking him away. And even then, like, he did let him go in the end. Just kind of... Oh, no, he ended up escaping. He played letting him go. Right, he played at letting him go. But he had never... I mean, he never had any intention of actually letting him out. Which would have worked out well. He had all he wanted out of him. Alright, so what about the characters drew you in? I really liked the way Mina and Lucy were introduced. The kind of short snippets of letters being written back and forth to each other. Uh-huh. Because they had a way of talking that we don't quite use anymore. Tell me about that. In what way? They were treating each other like siblings, but in the letters they were writing as though we were having a conversation like this, rather than you're going to hear this later. Mm. So literally writing out the conversation. Yeah. And their their relationship seemed closer than, like, we kind of some, well, men do. Maybe women are different. <laughs> we keep men at a distance. Like, men don't say, I love you to other men as a general rule unless they're dying or something else is going on it's a habit i'm hoping to break with with my friends but it is still awkward for guys just the way we've been brought up whereas they were very close they talked they said i love you each other they they treated each other like you said like siblings i thought that was really intriguing a familial relationship Mm -hmm. so what did you you didn't know anything about the storyline of the characters other than like dracula's dracula right so did the whole storyline with lucy throw you it did a little bit I don't think I saw that coming. You thought everyone was going to survive? Yeah. <laughs> no, baby, this is back in the day when they didn't care. But they did treat death very seriously. They did. Uh, it was interesting to hear hear that gothic Victorian take on death. And a lot of the Christian iconography, if I can use a fancy word that they use, especially when they're, they're fighting off Dracula with a cross or with the... The communion, the host, which in the Catholic Church they actually believe has been transformed into the literal flesh of Christ. So that's why it held significance. It wasn't just that symbol. Uh, it's interesting to see how vampires change through the years as we become less religious. Um, some of the modern vampires, I'm trying to remember, Anne Rice's vampires, they can they have crosses that decorate their homes. They're not affected by by iconography. And I think they had reflections too. I'd have to look at the the list. And of course, the Twilight fairies as i'll call them because they're not real vampires <laughs> <laughs> they uh they don't have any of that problem either so it was just, it's interesting to see how the how those things have changed over the years i think i've only really read like three things with vampires counting this one what else buffy i mean that's not reading but i've seen parts of that with you and then mortal instruments has vampires in it does it really no wait i'm thinking of the one with the big machines that crawl the earth what is that one mortal engines and is that what you just said no mortal instruments mortal instruments okay yeah. it's very much the same lore and it's pretty similar everything is similar to but it has vampires yeah interesting the vampires are set up the same way as in dracula well because i mean that is the core vampires mm-hmm. have they have to have the blood thing now in in the dresden files i haven't gotten far enough to fully understand but i know they have multiple kinds of vampires some who feed on blood, some who feed on emotion, and I forget what the third one is. But That sounds interesting. It is. You're not allowed to read those books. 
not not for, not unless I go back and read them again. They're a little more adult. Anyway, we can talk. We can get more back on Dracula. Uh, so you also didn't realize that Van Helsing. He's become a character unto himself as far as lore goes. There's a oh, really? Hugh Jackman movie, I think it is, with called Van Helsing, where he fights vampires and demons and that sort of thing. That sounds cool. Yeah, we have to. We could well, probably watch that. I have to check it out and see if it's <laughs> see if it's clean enough, as I recall. But he's become like the whereas Dracula is the vampire of all vampires. Van, Van Helsing's the vampire hunter. The hunter. Yep, he's the hunter of hunters, and so anyone who learns in the next generation learned from Van Helsing kind of thing people have, have tagged on to that because it's at least in some degree it's open to intellectual property and fair use i really did like the romantic relationship the husband and wife between mina and jonathan okay because that's not usually your thing so why no, is that why is it different this i time? like the way it was portrayed because it wasn't like your typical husband and wife we're gonna go like do typical not typical but more modern romance things like go kiss or have explicit scenes with it. Mm-hmm. They were very like sweet about it. Mm. Well, that also comes from the Victorian era, right? You couldn't write those things. You'd have been, yeah. you'd have been thrown in prison. And I enjoyed that because it was the subtlety of it that mm-hmm. made it interesting. It's almost sweeter when it's not explicit. Right? Yeah. It's, it's one thing to say, I love you, but it's another thing to say it in a poetic way that isn't quite, I love you, but is, but means the same thing. Well, we were just watching, Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. and there was a scene where the two characters were talking, but they couldn't talk about something explicitly because that's just not how you speak. And so, how they had to speak about it and how they had to frame their words made it, but it made it much more touching. It did, right? You and your sister were both ready to cry, but because of the poetic narrative that was happening. So that's there's something I think lost in a lot of the YA fiction. Like I don't read a lot of it that has tons of romance, but it feels to me like we're missing that sweetness. I think is the way you put it. And I enjoyed that. I especially the way things were described. They were able to do it much put much more detail into the scene building, mm-hmm. like the world building. I think that's just because they had more time they could make bigger books. But I enjoyed the poetic way things were described rather than the tree was green, they'd be like something else I can't think of right now because my brain doesn't want to work. But no, that's fine. Like that. But it's true. People had I think people had a larger vocabulary. Like we've lost the distinction in different words, like fear, terror, horror, they're all the same thing. Whereas they all had different distinctives. Uh, C.S. Lewis, obligatory C.S. Lewis quote, woohoo! <laughs> Put that on your bingo board. He wrote a, ser- a book called A Study in Words, where he went, It was and it was what he taught at Oxford, he went through the changing of language. That sounds really cool. So it is, but it it's so old now that those words don't even mean what they what the modern definition was for him. <laughs> But he does talk about how we, we've lost those distinctions. And without understanding those distinctions, you can never understand the author's original intent. So you, and I, where the quote is something to the effect of, you may read it and you may like your version better, but you cannot say you like the author's work if you don't know what the author meant when he wrote it. And so there's a lot of language in this book that I don't understand what that word meant in that day. What was the real connotation of that word I'm, I'm sure i know the dictionary definition but why did he use it in that way uh, that would be really interesting and i'm i'm a really nerdy linguistics guy i love i listen to a linguistics podcast for crying <laughs> out loud like there's just some nuance about about how language is developed and how it works and the way it works that's that's intriguing and reading these older books is attractive to me for that reason i think that's part of the reason i got into it so fast i like the poeticness of it yeah that definitely helped a lot with it but it does sometimes drag on it does. Because, again, they didn't have TVs or radios, although they had Kodak cameras. Did that strike you as odd? It did. 
I had to go look it up. I'm like, wait a minute, Kodak was invented like six or seven years before the book came out. So it was a brand new technology. Photographs have been around for a while, but the Kodak first camera coming out, like, of course, that company's not even really around anymore. But it was neat to see that that was such a, a large part of culture that it, be, that it hit, hit books and became a thing. I also did like how Mina was presented as a female character. In what way? I liked the fragility of her being a female. How the guys, how the males in the universe treated her differently, but also how, how they were able to understood that she brought a completely different aspect, point of view, to what was going on. Every feminist has just turned off reading radio. The idea that she would be treated fragilely, which I agree with you. I think it was it was a nice way to show that compliment of male and female, especially for the day. Mm-hmm. They knew that she had certain abilities and, and strengths that she brought to the table, but it wasn't. It was also their desire to protect her uh, and to be to be chivalrous to her that I thought was a really interesting dynamic. And then in the end, as much as they could, they kept her safe, but they knew that it wasn't. They couldn't just leave her completely. Well. Try to remember. They did leave her completely behind when it came to the last stand, but as much they kept like disinviting her and then inviting her in, trying to protect her, but mm-hmm. but use her power at the same time. Yeah, it was interesting. I enjoyed it. I tend to like those characters rather than just a female character with a stereotypical male role. Yes. So Gail Carriger's work on the hero's journey versus the heroine's journey is really intriguing. On that, did you ever read that? I know you mm-hmm. asked to. She describes like Harry Potter is a heroine because his strength is the is the community he builds around him, not his superpower where he has to go it alone. And often modern characters like Katniss are heroes. They go it alone and they don't build the community or they resist the community as much as possible kind of thing. And in this way, that definitely showed that all of these were heroines, if we use that framework, where they had to work together. Quincy had his ability to shoot and wrangle. Dr. Van Helsing knew the history of vampires. Mina had her connection with Dracula. Jonathan was was coming after him, protecting Mina, but also knew the intricacies of the law. And how, so they all had to use. It was like the perfect you know, role playing tape, role yeah. playing game party where everyone had a skill to bring to bear on it. Neither none of them could have done it solo. No, absolutely not. So that was that's a a good thing to look at when you're building characters. Is this character necessary, and why? And how? Do, what do they bring to the table that makes them makes them useful? So did you re- recognize the? At the end, the Deathly Hallows connection I joked about. I think I did after you pointed it out. Yeah, it felt very much, if you had, again, this is where we spoil Harry Potter. So if you haven't read it for whatever reason, stop listening. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it felt very much in, like it may have inspired J.K. Rowling. Because this whole last book, well, the end of the book, I mean, was them chasing all of those plots of Earth. Mm-hmm. So in Dracula, which is not the same at all vampire lore, he had to rest in Earth from... I've heard it's in his original grave, but there's at least hallowed ground from wherever he came from. It's mm-hmm. So it's, he that's why he brought that dirt with him to England, because he needed it to rest. And he probably would have spread it all around L- London and England. Given the time. Given enough time. But as they destroyed each one, it was like the, the Horcrux is being destroyed. He had nowhere left to run. He was stuck in that one coffin by the end of it. I thought the end, like that very end moment, was very anticlimactic. Seemed very rushed at the end, like. And maybe that was the feel, like you're getting to the end, you're getting to the end, and oh, finally! But it it did feel like, did you just run out of time? What happened? I did like the epilogue, though. Yes, the epilogue was good. It showed that they were scarred characters. What did you notice? I liked how they were 
acknowledging like they would tell their kids the stories afterwards mm. and that no one else was going to believe them if they told them so they'll just we know what we did we know we were saved like did a good thing yeah it's not often that the that a book has its own what do i want to say it's it recognizes its own insanity mm-hmm. like they knew in this that no one's going to believe us because this is a real world book this wasn't a world that it has vampires it did but it's it was meant to be our world so did the three vampires the three, three vampires has got killed right yeah yeah van helsing killed them with mina while he was that's yeah. right okay she uh, was left in like the plot by the fire while he went to do that that's right that's right i was i was trying to remember that earlier and i'm like wait when did that happen just like are there still are there really vampires left or can this be continued but no okay totally different topic it also felt like a very satisfactory ending it did you know, Quincy was it Quincy who died because yes. they named their son Quincy. Quincy. So he died, and it was nice that he said he could die doing a great thing because he knew. I mean, this is like this is a theme that I don't know is ever captured in modern literature because we've lost, um, we've gotten away from the Christian motif. But this was worse than death. She was to be damned, never to be able to enter the gates of heaven. So the fact that if they didn't kill Dracula, she was she was damned for eternity, was a big deal. Did you did you feel the weight of yes. that? It was good to see. So he could say he died. He died for something big. It was something bigger than himself, bigger than just this life. Bigger. It was eternity. That Mina would now be safe to enter into eternal rest, and he would he could do that as well. And that was that weightiness. I think some gets lost. Like we can die for, in this life for a thing, in in mo- in modern non religious tales, but there's not a greater greater good of that that has that epic scale for lack of a better term i understand what you're trying to say okay good i'm glad you i hope everyone else does too because i don't know how to get that across any differently without getting into a theological discussion which is not what the show is about so we'll leave that alone although next month we are going to do systematic theology but no i'm just kidding we're going to do uh what was again the similars by rebecca hanover so that'll be and then for episode 42 we are doing a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because what other book could you do for your 42nd episode? I still can't believe it's that many. I know. We've been doing this, we've been doing this for, actually. Third Dra- season, fourth year, I think. Dracula will be our fourth year, and this this year has taken off like wildfire. We're almost doubling our previous numbers. Um, thank you all f- who listen for helping us through that, because it's only because you guys are sharing things and promoting and listening. Uh, I've asked you to please just continue to do that and then jump on any of those social medias and let us know that uh, you're doing it because we'd just love to hear from our listeners and help you all build a mutual love of literature and build relationships because that's what this show is about. It was a way for us to connect and grow as a family uh, and just have something to talk about. And it's been wonderful. And I'm, it has. I'm glad there's people on the journey with us. It feels like a good place to wrap, I guess. It does. That flowed really well. <laughs> it did. All right, so next month is Similars by Rebecca Hanover. And then for the month of December, or episode 42, it will be Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Scott, not Scott Adams, Douglas Adams. Tell me, you're glad I said that, right? Because you can never remember authors' names. No, authors are not something I'm good at remembering unless it's a book I've read multiple times. So The Similars is a brand new, well, not brand new book. It's a new book to us. And then, of course, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a sci-fi slash nonsense classic that we'll have some fun with i think mm-hmm. anything else to add thanks for listening happy reading happy reading
Reading Radio is a podcast released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share-alike license. The music that you're now hearing is by Kevin McLeod of Income Tech, also released under Creative Commons share-alike attribution license, which means you can use this show for any non-commercial purpose as long as you give us credit. All notes and anything else you'd want to find out about Reading Radio can be found at reading-radio.com. If you head over there, you can subscribe to this podcast as well as join our Facebook group where you can contribute to telling us what books we should read. Because Reading Radio is all about bringing families and friends together through a mutual love of young adult literature. And we'd love for you to join us. Happy reading.